Hey, I'm Pilani Mzila, standing in for Rajiv and Hope, and this is the African Pre-Seed Podcast. Now, if you're an Africa-focused founder or investor keen on learning about Africa's tech ecosystem, this is a podcast for you. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, we're talking cybersecurity and unpack what early-stage fintech founders on the continent need to be doing to build safe and robust digital infrastructure. I'm really excited today because joining us, we have Viola Llewellyn, who is the president and co-founder of the award-winning trade tech startup, Ovamba. Hey, Viola, how's it going? Groovy. It's lovely to be with you guys again. But wait, there's more. Hello and welcome to Larry Yon and Kendral Falder, co-founders of Cyber Alliance. Thank you for joining us, gents. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having us. But before we get stuck in, we're going to break the ice by playing a little game called... So folks, listen, I have a short list of things that I'm going to pitch to you. And all I'm going to need you to do is tell me whether it's a hit or hype. And you can elaborate a little bit on your answer. Sound good? All right, bring it on. Great. Pretty simple. So let's play hit or hype. NFTs, hit or hype? A blend. It depends who's trying to take advantage of it. I think it's a hit when it is used to connect the um, the disenfranchised and the constantly included when it comes to art and the creation of value for things that um, are maybe a little bit subjective. And it's totally hype if it's those twits you talk to in a local coffee shop who think they're going to get rich overnight. They've no idea what the, the mechanics are behind it. So everybody should um, proceed with care. Larry, what about the metaverse? Hit or hype? I would also say hit anytime other people say that it's hype, like the internet was at one point, all hype for some, ended up being a hit. And there was a lot of people who were like, man, I wish I had ignored the naysayers who said there's no way we'd be, you know, calling each other with phones right, that, that we walked around with all day or we didn't need encyclopedias anymore, right? So it's, it's definitely um, going to be a hit for me from that perspective. Kendrell, tell me about Rihanna's much-anticipated next album, Hit or Hype? <laughs> well, I'll preface my answer by saying I'm not necessarily hip to the uh, new Rihanna album, but but I'll go get educated on it. But if I know anything about Rihanna, it's probably going to be a hit just because she's so talented and has such a strong following, even if it's, you know, uh, not as quality as past projects, she's going to perform well. So I'll say Rihanna's going to be a hit. Good answer. Very safe. Viola, what about Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter? Hit or hype? I think some people do this just to stay relevant. I think it will have to be um, a hit in terms of its social impact, whether he goes through with it or not. And I am hedging my comments here. Um, Hard to say. My fear is that if he gets his hands on this and it becomes a hit, a lot of the individuals who've been silenced because of the impact they have to the general populace will be back in full force. And we're not just talking about um, Uncle Donnie. We're talking about many others. Larry, let's talk about the climate change movement. Hit or hype? Hit. I think because of technology, there's going to be a lot of innovative things that come out. 
they're going to feel like hype because a lot of people aren't going to believe in it. It doesn't it's not going to make a lot of sense in the beginning. And I think those end up being the things that, you know, end up becoming big hits. And we hope that, you know, disenfranchised groups and, and, and other people don't miss it in the beginning. Right. I think we're at a time and place where, you know, it's, it's good for something new to happen for for other people to be able to get in early and not get in late. So I'm, I'm going to make it a hit. Kendrill. What about VPNs, hits or hype? I'd say it's a blend. Historically, uh, VPNs have been an effective way to secure networks. However, with the emergence of methodologies like zero trust, uh, the ability to operate securely without VPNs is uh, becoming more of a, a normal means of operating. So while VPN has its uh, formal place within the, the business landscape, I do think there are other ways of securing your activity, your business activity uh, emerging. So I'll say a little bit of both. All right. Viola, this one's for you. Intermittent fasting, hit or hype? Big hit. I used it once, lost huge amounts of weight. However, from a medical standpoint, the human body can only continue to deliver the same results for a limited period of time. What was a hit is becoming hype for many people because the results begin to diminish. But you'll have more people trying it. Okay, we have two more of these. Larry, what about password managers? Hit or hype? Hit. It's necessary. You, you, I mean, we're living in a, in a very connected world, right? You have a lot of accounts. I personally hate having to remember so many different passwords because I lose things all the time, right? So uh, I definitely think it's a hit. You definitely need to protect yourself in that way. And having a way to be able to, to, to do it outside of your brain powers definitely makes it a hit. And finally, Kendrill, recession alerts, hit or hype? Oh, man, that's, that's an interesting one. I, I'll have to say it's a hit. I, I'll, I'll give the financial advisor disclosure, right? I am by no means a financial uh, advisor or professional, so don't take this as an investment advice, right? <laughs> but in terms of the recession, if you just look at the, the uh, history of the market, right, and in terms of when things ebb and flow, uh, we're due for uh, somewhat of an enduring recession just based on how history has worked. I think the uh, brief recession we had at the start of COVID uh, was more of an anomaly than it was a, a reflection of how the markets typically operate. And with some of the inflation and other conditions that are present, uh, we are likely to undergo some sort of a downturn. Uh, how deep or how long, I'm not sure, but I do think we are due for, for a recession uh, within the coming months or year. That was fun. Thank you, folks. Now let's talk cybersecurity and what every fintech founder should be thinking about and solving for when they're building their startups. So I hear all of you guys were in South Africa back in May. What were you up to while you were down here? Viola, we'll pass the ball to you to get us kicked off. All right. Uh, I was invited back to the wonderful Johannesburg by our partners, Cyber Alliance, i.e. Larry and Kendra, who are both here on this call because they have spent the last few years developing some very solid relationships on the African continent, but in a very different arena compared to Ovamba. It was natural synergies when they came to us and mentioned that the, the tide is turning for not just financial inclusion, but to address cybersecurity for African businesses. 
And their conversations with one of your largest business associations is what uh, brought us to the table and it is yielding some very exciting opportunities for all of us. So in two words, we didn't sleep. That's that's what we did in, in South Africa. I think when I, when I went back and looked at my calendar from our trip, we were there for roughly eight business days. Two of those were associated with um, the annual event by one of our industry association partners, the Black Business Council. So that drops it down to six. And in those six days, we had 29 meetings, right? So that spanned universities, NGOs, VCs, accelerators, businesses, et cetera. So on short trips to the continent, we, we try to definitely stack things, see as many people as we can face to face. Zooms and web chats are great. We've all kind of done that a lot over the last few years, but, but anytime we have the opportunity, uh, particularly with people who are on a different continent to see face to face, meet face to face, touch people, feel people actually, you know, you know, hear the facial expressions. Um, we, we take advantage of that, but being able to come with our partner and, and kind of work through us being able to, to launch some of our, uh, flagship products to the South African market, to be able to create global trust in South African businesses was very key for us being able to create a platform for skill development and that connection between skill development and job creation was also on our list of accomplishments and outcomes. And then thirdly, being able to uh, announce that in partnership with the Black Business Council and Obama, being able to um, announce we're bringing funds to the table for South African businesses to be able to create economies of scale, to be able to access capital um, for growing their businesses. And then being able to include cyber inclusion in a way for that to, for, to be able to, to, to protect them um, in, in this in this money that they're receiving and this growth that they're able to have, you know, locally across borders and, and then ultimately across the water as well. So generally speaking, what does financial and cyber inclusion in Africa look like, Kendrell? Well, it's, it's a bit of what both Viola and Larry just touched on, right? It, it's ensuring that businesses that are positioned for growth get the appropriate access to resources, right? Not not just money, not just people, uh, not just technology, but the appropriate resources that enable them to scale. And in many times when you look at uh, a market like uh, South Africa, where there's tons of talent and tons of businesses primed for that type of growth, sometimes the, the opportunity for accessing uh, the right resources aren't there. So being able to, to provide those financial resources through Obama or that the cyber inclusion through Cyber Alliance is uh, one of the key things that we strive to achieve in communicating with the trip that we have, but also actually delivering on those promises uh, in the in the future, right? And if I could take a moment to, to explain the, the cyber trust score, which is a big part of the cyber inclusion that we drive, uh, a big part of the message that we want people to understand is cybersecurity isn't exclusive to enterprises, right? Cybersecurity matters to small companies as well. And we've created a tool that pulls controls and questions from global frameworks that are recognized as uh, best practices. And we've humanized those controls and questions in a way that's understandable to the average business owner, right? And that way they can go through this set of controls and questions and at the end of it, 
understand their security posture or get their cyber trust score. So we like to draw a parallel to the credit score here in the United States. When someone gets a credit score, uh, an organization is looking at all the key components of an individual or organization's financial situation. And once all of those different factors are taken into consideration, you get a credit score. Well, with our cyber trust score, it's the same exercise, but from a security standpoint. Our, our controls and questions look at all the key elements of a, an organization's uh, security posture. And at the end of it, we're able to then get uh, their cyber trust score. Now, Viola, given your experience as a founder, how early would you say tech founders, especially fintech founders, should invest in cybersecurity infrastructure? I say immediately it should be at the very beginning before you even get to your MVP and before you even sit down with investors. And there's a very specific reason from my perspective, having gone through a Cyber Alliance's trust score uh, process, it highlighted a lot for me. I've often talked about the need to close the digital divide and avoid another form of um, digital colonialism or even digital poverty. There are many excuses that you will experience as a startup in the fintech space when you sit down with investors, and many of them are looking for a reason to conveniently say why they do not want to proceed with an African startup. And in the old days, it used to be about risk. That conversation keeps on coming up. But the new excuse that's going to be will be about the fact that fintech, trade tech, and other forms of technology create connectivity and bridges to people, sectors, and systems. If you don't have this addressed right now, the next conveniently acceptable excuse will be, well, you're not digitally safe enough. You are a cybersecurity risk. We don't have a sense of visibility into your operations, and you yourself don't even know the language required to explain your positioning or what your positioning ought to be. This will probably having seen how Cyber Alliance are conducting this on an eco basis, will become a module or a teaching point or a necessity to check off on any kind of due diligence process. What is your positioning? How are your files secured? How do you understand recovery? And more importantly, do you understand how to mitigate an attack? So this is it's right up there, I would say, in your top three, top five. Great. Larry, uh, given everything that Viola has shared, how much time do you think founders should spend on building their product versus securing it? I don't want to call it equal amount of time because I think founders have to spend enough time with figuring out, you know, what's their product market fit or, or their uh, problem solution fit. Right. So there has to be a certain level of commitment to being able to figure that out and how to deliver it. However, I do think it's as to Viola's point, you have to take some considerations to um, think about how you're going to protect data, how you're going to secure it in a way early, because if you do it later on in the process, it's going to be very expensive to kind of go back and peel back layers and, and redesign things. So so you have to do it early enough. And there's a risk, right? If you if you come up with this great innovative idea, solution, and you bring it to market and you start to test it in the marketplace without those proper privacy by design and security measures in place, you leave yourself open to potential breaches or attacks and the reputational risk for a small business at that stage is going to be insurmountable, right? It can't be compared to a large corporate 
who has some type of breach or, or ransomware or whatever the case may be, and, and they're able to kind of carry on, right, and not have that stain of not wanting to do business with them. But a small business, that reputational risk and financial risk could be detrimental to your ability to survive. I'll never forget in 2013, the bizarre experience of constantly Googling African fintech companies and finding none, 2012, 2013, and thinking that maybe Ovamba was the first to market. How could that possibly be? But there was a South African fintech company and it lasted only a few months. It got hacked and it was gone. It did not take long for that to happen. So this has been going on on the continent from before it became a, a conversation at the dinner table, so to speak. It seems like cybersecurity is a hot button issue in the world right now. Kendrill, why do you think cybersecurity has become so topical in today's business landscape? Well, I mean, if you look at uh, the way business is done these days, the, the world is just so much more digitized, right? And so if you think of that reality, most companies depend on technology to drive their operations, which uh, therefore drives their revenue. And so it, when we talk about the need for cybersecurity, it's really securing your operation so that your company or organization can carry out its mission, whether that be make money or drive nonprofit missions, right? Wh whatever that mission is, uh, the ability to secure your operation is an enabler. And I think that's coming to light more as organizations become dependent on technical infrastructure, whether it be ERP systems, whether it be CRM systems, whether it be your financial and accounting systems, all of those three types of solutions all really point to core elements of how companies operate. So if you ask me the question, you know, why is security top of mind these days? My first answer is going to be it's core to the ability to enable and drive your business. But then also there's the scare tactic, right? If we just look at some industry statistics, I believe it was the average cost to recover stolen data uh, in industrial ransomware attacks in South Africa was around 447,000 US dollars, right? Uh, if you look at other uh, statistics such as uh, the, the human element of security with 85% of the breaches being insider threat or human elements involved, right? The, the people who work for your organization can actually put you at risk. And so when you start talking about things that you need to enable your business, the threats that come along with it and the financial risk that come along with it, to Larry and, and Viola's point, can really be detrimental for enterprises and for small and medium-sized businesses it can mean life or death for your organization. So I, I would say it's a necessary top of mind uh, subject given how dependent businesses are on technology. And it's not just a startup issue, right? Large incumbent financial institutions like TransUnion and Flutterwave uh, also experience the same challenges. So what would you say are some of the most critical cybersecurity risks for early stage startups versus more mature businesses? Well, for early stage startups, right, it's it, like, as Kendra mentioned, it's the, the insider threat, phishing, limited visibility and response, right? Because because small businesses, they are more than likely aren't going to have people dedicated to handling these types of disciplines, right? They're not going to have CD chief development officers or CISOs or CTOs at, at this stage, right? At like a, a large enterprise would. So a lot of these particular topics go unaddressed 
for a long time just because of it, it could be capital it could be expertise it could be any number of things right for for the enterprise they're thinking about it from a perspective of hey we're trying to go global we're looking at having a global supply chain what's our third party risk right because if i'm an attacker i might uh, i might say well it might be difficult for me to um, get into the platform of a large corporate directly however it's easier for me to breach that surface by going through some of their suppliers who don't have the necessary measures in place and i think a lot of corporates now are looking at how they are engaging and monitoring and then the requirements they're putting on their third-party suppliers because that ends up being the source of a lot of breaches for them right in addition to device applications and things of that nature right because if you're a, an enterprise and you are going global the attacks from different geographies may be different right so having that awareness and that visibility of what that attack surface looks like where you're doing business gives you better ability to be able to protect themselves but there's a connection between early stages businesses and enterprises because for early stage businesses a lot of times their ability to scale comes from how they engage with enterprises right so if you if you have an e-commerce platform or, or or what have you there's a strong possibility to make sure that as the e-commerce platform you have on one side small businesses you have customers on a side and you have enterprises on the side there's could be weaknesses along that chain at any point that can make everybody vulnerable so when you think about those critical elements of cybersecurity, they're all important. And a lot of people try to avoid the conversation if it hasn't happened yet. But I think we're getting to a place where as regulations globally are starting to change, where reporting, you know, cyber crimes and those things are, are changing, where before in reality, most cyber crimes don't go reported. But because most cyber crimes, there's the requirement for them to become reported now people are going down the chain and figuring out how can they stop some of these problems before again they have to, to experience financial risk or or reputational risk in the process viola how many african markets is ovamba working in right now well we're in the central african market where we get access to about six different countries we're now so we're registered in cameroon ivory coast egypt uh, and Mauritius with plans to be in South Africa very, very shortly. And how would you say regulation around fintech cybersecurity varies in those markets? Well, my, uh, any comments I have are from the perspective of being part of the group in Mauritius that looks at f- uh, fintech. But Ovamba being a trade tech solution, you sometimes see the world a little bit differently. But I think regulation is not nearly fast enough. And that's because... Regulation is often behind innovation, but unfortunately, the greatest innovations come from those with nefarious intent who've taken the time to do a good deep dive into understanding what the lay of the land is and what those systems are. So all around the world, there are all different industries and sectors that are trying to keep up with what criminals are anticipating or what they've achieved. We do need more private sector practitioners who are not hampered by the concerns of government-type bodies to address this and deliver those solutions in a best practice, benchmarked way with not just anecdotal proof, but all of the digital data points that go along with proving that this has to be the case. Kendrell, um, for fintech founders, what are some of the commercial incentives of tending to their cybersecurity risks? So uh, Larry touched on the topic earlier of supply chain security. 
Uh, Viola also gave a, a great anecdote around why it's important. But the ability to do business, right? And, and not just from a business operations perspective, but your ability to be considered by large corporates and public sector entities will be dependent largely on your security posture, right? And so if you're thinking about it purely from uh, from a perspective of being able to scale and grow and take on new customers, your ability to demonstrate how secure you are, or at least your understanding of how secure you are, will be a pivotal factor in the, the type of business you're able to uh, secure for your organization as you grow or as you move forward. So I think that's one of the top commercial incentives. And then again, from that business operations standpoint, your ability to mitigate your risk, it can't be overstated because at the end of the day, if you look at the average cost of ransomware itself, but then the cost of mitigating breaches, uh, again, for most organizations, that's going to have a crippling effect, if not a game ending effect on the organization. And so your ability to uh, be able to identify these risks and use the proper people, processes, and technologies to mitigate those risks is going to be key for small businesses, for fintechs, and for enterprises in general. So those are the two top incentives, right? Your ability to protect yourself so that you don't lose money in your operation, so that you aren't ransomware and lose money that way, but also so that you can make more money by using security as a differentiator. There's something else that I think is a bit of an elephant in the room and it's worth bringing up. From Avamba's perspective and the way in which we do our transactions and what we're looking for in order to mitigate risk, in many cases, that threat is from the inside, not necessarily from the outside. And this is indicative across other criminal sectors. For example, you take what might happen to a woman or a young child and it turns out that the person you know is the person who attacked you. Well, there is also the fact that many of the solutions that Cyber Alliance is addressing has a lot to do with Avamba's primary concern, which is the fact that when banks and financial institutions and non-financial institutions are using our products and technology, there is the high risk that the people on the inside of the company are the ones perpetrating some of the cybersecurity and the fraud. So it's a two-way street, and many people don't really know how to have that conversation or that language. And I'm pleased to say that between any three of us, there's great consultation available for how to uh, bring up such a difficult topic. You don't want to appear as if the risk is internal, so therefore you're hampered in having that conversation with your wider stakeholders, but people should need to learn that there are tools available to ensure that if the discussion is about what's happening internally, there are ways in which to mitigate that risk, address it from a technical perspective, and to be able to manage the conversation around that. Larry, what would you say is the number one threat that founders should be looking to mitigate ahead of all others? Protecting data. I think that ends up being in an environment where everyone is starting to leverage technology um, in a way where they can reach more customers, reach them faster, produce more products, produce more innovations, right? I, I think what's so exciting about the continent of Africa uh, in, in terms of technology is that people around the world are realizing that the solutions and the innovations that are that are being born in, on the continent aren't just continental solutions, they're global solutions. And, and if you think about from a, from a sheer population perspective, global population perspective, with the continent over the next 20 years, having the majority of the world's population, 
you have to take consider that that data is becomes very important. How you reach people becomes very important. How you solve problems for people becomes very important. So any solution that comes to, to, to market that doesn't consider early on how they're protecting that data becomes a recipe for disaster. Great. So, so Kendrill, um, is there a framework that founders can use to, to sort of implement what Larry's spoken about? Well, yes, there is. <laughs> no, in, in all seriousness, uh, the, the Cyber Trust Score is actually a great tool for founders to use. The, the Trust Score itself uh, is free. We allow organizations to do it so that they can understand the types of controls that are, are necessary to secure themselves. And their answers to those questions are part of that process so that you almost have uh, a self-guided roadmap as to how you as an organization might want to close the gaps uncovered as a part of the trust score. And obviously you get your score as well. But what we also have underlying our framework is the ability to help organizations close gaps with a, a suite of solutions that we offer. Uh, the first being the ability to help organizations understand their, their data posture, right? And that means understanding how many files are on your network, how many of those files are secured versus unsecured, what are the keywords associated with those files if a hacker were to get into your network, right? Where are the honeypots, if you will? And then the, the big so what as it relates to, to data visibility, how much each of those files are worth? We can help organizations understand the value of each of the files within their network, right? And so if we're talking about the ability to uh, get the proper visibility into your security posture. The next step is then understanding where the data lies to, to Larry's previous point. And then from an ongoing operations perspective, uh, we have the ability to help companies and organizations uh, monitor their networks so that they understand the telemetry and behavior that's happening within the individuals, uh, within their organizations, but also the customers and partners they interact with. Uh, we have a, a threat intelligence capability that helps uh, organizations understand how uh, data and telemetry has flowed throughout their network to date, but also using external intelligence to become more proactive in terms of how you secure your organization internally. And as Viola stated earlier, one of the key pieces we think will be valuable for organization is an automated incident response platform. One of the things we like to say, we're, we're almost like doctors in the sense that someone can come to us for an assessment to, to get a, a view on where they are from a posture standpoint. And we can make a recommendation, but there's no guarantee that you aren't going to be breached. And anybody that tells you they have a foolproof way for you to avoid being breached aren't being uh, genuine or honest with you. And so we give you the prescription to help you mitigate the risk of being breached and even help you put in place controls that minimize that opportunity, but there's no guarantee. But when something does happen, we have the tool to help you respond appropriately so that you minimize the impact of said breach. And so when you talk about frameworks, we can start at the top of the house and simply helping organizations understand their posture, how they can secure themselves, but also how they can present themselves to the market in terms of uh, securing those new customers and working with larger vendors. But then we can also help uh, remedy a lot of those gaps. So, you know, I wanted to elaborate a bit because the trust score itself is, is a great tool for understanding. But in terms of making it actionable, we have the ability to do that with our team of engineers behind us as well. 
So, Kendrill, is this resource you mentioned earlier something that we can share in our show notes? Absolutely. Uh, you, you all can share it. Also, if uh, people want to understand more about who we are and actually access a trust for themselves, they can go to cyberalliance.com. That's cyber-alliance.com. And uh, we'd be happy to engage. So, yes, please do share. Thank you. Great, great. Um, now, I just want to go back to Viola for a second. When you were speaking earlier, it sounded like you have some, some war stories about dealing with internal threats. Do you perhaps want to share one of those? Uh, yeah. Um, and let me give you a general sharing, because sometimes even the telling is an indicator to those who, who do not mean you well. But my background in this, I actually worked in disaster recovery in the UK in the 80s, and it was a very primitive and rudimentary approach to how to save you after the worst has happened, not how to prevent the worst from ever happening to you. And that always guided how I looked at cybersecurity. And thanks to my partners here, a lot of our um, approach to this has matured. We're lucky that internally we started out on the good foot, but some of the war stories I can share is the fact that like many other startups in the fintech realm, once you reach a certain point of due diligence, if you're working with a really good investor, there will be some ethical hacking that you must endure. And it is a great benchmark for knowing where you are. And if you want to make sure that you can prevent yourself from falling down on the point scale with that, you should definitely speak to Cyber Alliance. I was very pleased to find that some of the um, remediation that we put in place before then have been endorsed and reflected by the sorts of recommendations they've made. And there are many others that we do plan to follow up on. But with us from a trade perspective, we're not like a payment solution or a wallet or a developer of that nature. We are very much uh, toes to the fire as it relates to making decisions about money leaving Ovamba's environment and banking systems and going out there into the ether in order to buy the goods of customers. And we've had individuals who've done really basic things like trying to pretend to be the buyer and the seller at the same time. That's that's child's play, guys. We caught you before you even finished clicking send. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. There are many more coming down the way. I think it is very dangerous for founders, especially if they've been around as long as us, to think that I've been around a long time, so therefore I know exactly what's going on, and it's not possible to be advised. The truth of the matter is the longer you stay in this game, the further away you get from being where the rubber hits the road. And you should take this even more seriously. We have a cautionary tale. Look at Flutterwave, the granddaddy of fintechs in our, on our continent. And they're taking this seriously. So anecdotally, those are the points that I would share. So Larry and Kendrill, um, do you care to share some cybersecurity breach horror stories um, that Cyber Alliance has helped uh, sort out? Absolutely. Even in the years that we've been in business, we've had the opportunity to engage with global enterprises and entrepreneurs that have suffered cybersecurity breaches. Right. And, and that delay in operations um, was impactful on, on both levels. Right. Whether the global enterprise had breaches based on um, vulnerabilities that were the result of suppliers or the SMEs were actually suppliers that were breached only because of their access to large corporations, right? And and that spans industries and, and government entities. I, I think that in terms of cybersecurity, the natural inclination to put in a bucket of financial risk is really easy for most people, right? But when you think about 
the scenarios and the reality that technology solutions are stretching across, you know, ag tech and health tech and suppliers that are supporting utilities and governments are major vulnerability spots and, and not from a perspective of financial liability. But if you think about an entrepreneur that's in, you know, Botswana or South Africa that is providing drones that are doing healthcare drops and medicine drops for people, that company being breached and, and a delay in that ability to deliver that medicine to someone whose only access to being able to get it is that drone drop could be a health risk, right? A utility being breached is a health risk. An ag tech company being breached that's, that's delivering food to people who can't get it is a health risk that could become a loss of life as the result of a cybersecurity concern. And we've had those throughout history that people maybe didn't know about that have existed quite a bit and that have happened quite a bit where cybersecurity breaches have resulted in loss of life and health risk. The challenge that we're finding is that cyber attackers are becoming very, very sophisticated. It's no longer the one man individual that's just figuring out ways to get into your system. We have AI related um, cyber attackers at this point. And if you've bought shoes online or tried to buy clothes online competitively and you're trying to compete with AI solutions to buy products, it becomes almost impossible to beat them. Right. So if you think about that from a cyber perspective where cyber attacks are now coming from AI based attackers where you where they're hidden, you don't know where they're coming from. They're coming from so many different angles and areas. The attack surface is increasing every day. And as everybody is continuing to use technology to, to be more efficient, to develop more products, to sell more products, to have bigger geographies, this idea of cybersecurity, not just from a perspective of compliance, but from a perspective of security is, is, a, is creating a lot more horror stories uh, to the impact on businesses. I'll add to that really quickly because I think Larry's call outs about the safety implications of cybersecurity are 1000% valid, right? And, and I'll add a, a quick anecdote to that. Cybersecurity has become weaponized in a lot of ways, right? And so when you think about the way wars are fought today, it, it's no longer solely on battlefields, it, it's in the cyber fields, if you will. And so to, to Larry's point, the, the lowest hanging fruit typically tend to be small businesses or startups, even if they're successful startups, just because they haven't thought down the path of security. So I just wanted to support his statements with that quick anecdote. But then also, uh, when we talk about security horror stories from startups and fintechs, I want to call out one of the first things that senior executives typically want to know, whether it's public sector whether it's enterprise or whether it's SMEs, is what do we know? When, when they find out there's been a breach, the first question they ask is, what do we know? And, and that's a loaded question, right? Because it could be referring to the breach itself and the details of it. It could be referring to the technology infrastructures and in the, in the details of it. But it's, it's some combination of both. And if you haven't taken the time as an organization, as a startup, to understand what you have and what you don't have, even if you don't have everything, you need to understand what you don't have so that when that breach does occur, 
when that CEO or that board member comes in and asks, what do we know? We can say, we know that we didn't have these things in place and we know that we did get breached in this location and here were the IP addresses, et cetera, that go along with that. So just going back to the point of the, the understanding around your posture is actually critical to how you operate your business. So I wanted to call that out as one of the horror stories because we've been in rooms where there have been ministers that walked in and said, what do we know? And the people responsible for that question didn't have good answers. So that, that was a horror story in itself. And the other question for that is, you know, once they get in, what can they see, what can they find and what can they do with it? Right. And and many people can't answer that question to Kendra's point. Just to show you how difficult the world is getting, I think the safest piece of technology is an old fashioned typewriter in a locked room with no door. Right. <laughs> That's it. But somebody will smash the wall. It doesn't need to have a reason. So anybody who thinks that uh, crime and cybersecurity requires a logical reason that they can relate to is, is asleep. That's a very great analogy. So a final question to, I guess, all three of you is, what do you have to say to the founder that thinks they simply can't afford uh, to pay attention to cybersecurity in their startup? Then you need to ask them another question. Will you be much happier once you're hardworking startup is destroyed before it gets started. If that's what you prefer, then just, you know, stay where you are and enjoy yourself. Anybody who's trying to stay in business who has got nothing but the right answer to that shouldn't be in business. Everybody wants to go to the party, right? Cybersecurity and what you're doing in that space, you're going to need that necessary pass to get in, right? So when we start talking about global trust, whether we're talking about B2B engagements or B2C engagements, both of them are going to be very, very difficult for any entrepreneur trying to grow and scale, whether they are part of a local value chain, an intra-Africa value chain or a global value chain. And if you can't answer the question of where you are from a perspective of cybersecurity, it doesn't matter how good your solution is, doesn't matter how good your innovation is, they're not going to let you in the party because the risk is too high. The risk is absolutely too high to let you in the party if you don't have it. So it, it, it goes beyond skill and smarts at that point. And, and we understand that, it's, that you might not have that skill set, but that's the opportunity for you to be able to collaborate with others who do. And there's so many different ways to do that. There's so many ways to subsidize that. There's so many ways to train and provide talent. There's so many ways to borrow expertise to share expertise that there's no excuse for you not having anymore. I'll underpin what Larry and Viola have both said with uh, a couple sayings that my college football coaches used to say to me when I would mess up in a drill. It's do it right or do it twice or do it right or pay the price. And, and that's how it is with cybersecurity, ultimately, because you, you can get started and you can do it. But if you don't do it right, you're likely going to pay the price if something does occur. And you're probably going to have to do it twice if you're afforded that opportunity. So do it right or do it twice or do it right or pay the price. That's that's what I have to say to that question. Definitely a quotable from your end. That brings us to the end of our show. Um, a big thank you to Viola Llewellyn of Ovamba and Larry Yon and Kendrell Falda of Cyber Alliance for joining us on today's episode. I just hope that everybody out there listening takes it seriously and understands that all of their actions have an ecosystem impact. And you guys really ought to take the trust score, especially with our arrival into the country. Thank you for you guys for giving us the platform.
thank you for allowing us to join you all today. So, if you're a pre-seed fintech founder who's actively investing time and effort into ensuring that your product and platform is secure, we'd like to hear about it. Email us on hello at africanpreseed.com or post a comment anywhere on social media using the hashtag AfricanPreseed to let us know what's on your mind. We'd love to hear from you. And that's all we have for you today. This has been the African Preseed Podcast and I'm Pilani Mzila signing out. Cheers.